Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good Thursday morning and uh, happy leap. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But hey, thank you for listening to Mornings. Uh, Yeah, without Carmen, she's still on vacation. She'll be back on Monday. And uh, I have to check what uh, Monday will be. I know today, apart from Leap Day, is also... There's not a lot of things on the National Today calendar for today because, you know, this is one of those days that only happens every four years. But it is National Toast Day. Ooh, that sounds really good. Ryan's with me. He's uh, he's uh, operating the board and such, being the doing what I usually do. But uh, thank you for filling in. So I can not focus. as good as you, but I'm trying my best. Oh, well, you're you're, good. <laughs> you're you're fine. You're fine. Okay, National Toast Day. You a toast guy? I don't dislike toast. I don't have it very often, but I like a good piece of toast. Okay. Well, this brings up the important question: How do you like your toast? Do you like it lightly toasted? Do you like a dark toast? Do you like it almost charcoal? I would say between light and dark, but I don't want it charcoal because then it's like, what's the point at that point? So, <laughs> okay. When I was a kid, I liked it almost charcoal. Yeah, and then butter and strawberry on it. Mm. I, I've mellowed out since then, um, medium to dark. But uh, yeah, um, I like to experiment with different jellies. Ever have Loganberry? I don't believe I have. You I'm sure I would like it, though. have heard of Loganberry. Yeah, you would. You would. Well, I've heard of Lingonberry, not Loganberry. Lingonberry's not bad either. <laughs> it's not the best on toast, but it is still really is good. Is Loganberry Swedish, too? No, no, no. Okay. It's named after a guy named Logan. He hybrided. <laughs> um, he, he basically crossbred uh, some blackberry and raspberry, and then somebody mm. else took him one up on that and made boysenberry. His name was Boysen, by the way. Wow. And yeah, so which I like that, too. Of course, what a raspberry, guy. there's... Oh, boy, there's lots of good ones out there. I mean, apricot. Have you ever had apricot jam? I have not. Now I'm thinking about pie with you talking about all these berries. So <laughs> You're a pie guy. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, me, and Carmen can talk about pie anytime. Oh, there you go. Well, back on the issue of toast, maybe you have a, a preference on your toast this morning. 877-933-2484 is the text line. Feel free to text in and let me know what's on your toast on this national toast day. I want to talk about Jean for a moment. Now, I know Jean, she struggles with fear, and for good reason. A lot of bad stuff has happened to her in her life. She grew up in a very dysfunctional home, a lot of strain between her parents before. That unfortunately ended in divorce. And then her, her dad, first emotionally and then kind of physically abandoned her and her brothers. Her first marriage ended in abandonment, as it were. So she fears abandonment again. She struggles with a lot of fears, actually. Now, she has found Jesus, feels secure in him, but outside of that in her mind, she still fears a lot of stuff, abandonment and you name it. It's just fear. And when it comes to verses like in the Bible talking about the fear of the Lord, oh, she does not like them. Why would a loving God want us to fear him? The verse in from Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it just, she has a hard time taking that in. I understand that. But at the same time, 
I also understand her viewpoint, because look at our Growing Your Faith verse for today. Again, we're looking at love in the month of February here, today the last day. 1 John 4, 18 and 19, for such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we were, if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And now, when Jean sees verses like that, she'll kind of point and say, see, no fear, no fear, no fear. And in a sense, she's right. But there's a road to get to here, or to get to no fear, to here, to this love. Because we have to start, regardless, with that healthy fear of the Lord, a reverence for him. You know, again, the fear, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end, but it is the beginning. It starts with God himself and who he is. And there are many aspects of him we need, that need to be brought into focus. For example, he is the one true all-powerful God. He's the sovereign. He's the creator of the universe. And as such, he created the rules for how it works. And related to this, he's the lawgiver. He created us. He knows what's best for us, what works best. He sets the rules. As the creator, he's also creation's judge and, and, uh, and such. So he enforces the rules and deals with those who break them. And since we've all broken the rules because of sin, we're under his curse. We're under the condemnation. You know, there, there is a fear of punishment that kind of is in verse, uh, you know, in our Growing Your Faith verse today in First John. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We have to move from revering his glory from fear, but then also then there's Jesus. Let's, let's go back a little bit in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So, yes, he is a God who is the creator and he is the judge, but he's also the great lover. And in his great love, he sent his son to deal with our sins. Jesus takes away the penalty. So as verse 13 talks, not only that, not only did he take away the penalty, but he draws close to us. He sent his spirit to indwell us, to renew us, to abide and abide with us and help us. Again, I, I mentioned this earlier this week. There's a line from Michael Card's song, Jubilee. To be sold completely guilty and given over to despair, there's a lot to fear. But then to look into your judge's face and see a savior there. The one who should be feared for judgment, uh, we can turn to now and say, wait, he's not judging us. He loves us. He dealt with the penalty. A few days ago, I was watching the first episode of The Chosen, and it reemphasized a verse to me, um, Isaiah 43, starting at verse 1, listen to the Lord who created you, the one who formed you and says, do not be afraid, even though you have right to be afraid of him. He says, don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by by name. You are mine. I will be with you. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Perfect love. Cast out the fear. We don't need it anymore. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it gives way to perfect peace, perfect love. Maybe that's something you uh, have been struggling with and wanting to know about this love of Jesus more. Maybe you don't trust him because you fear. Let perfect love cast out that fear. As a matter of fact, we have some friends at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association who would love to 
talk to you about what it means to have that loving relationship with God. Text the word FAITH to 41224 this morning, and they'll be glad to start a dialogue to help you know about the love of Jesus. Well, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio, and here we go, another one. A few days ago, I was talking about some of the happiest cities in the U.S., according to a Wallet Hub survey. Well, I saw this study at Study Finds, the top seven places to raise a family in the U.S. Number one place, Ann Arbor, Michigan, followed by Plano, Texas, Irvine, California. For those who listen to us on 88.5 HD2 in the Kansas City area, Overland Park, Kansas, you're on the list again. You must, be, you must have something really good going on there. Must be something really good. All I know is you're on the list. But there's a line that jumped out at me when I was reading the research. It said, research shows children's immediate neighborhood can have a significant impact on their life outcomes, even more so than the neighborhoods they end up in as an adult. Okay, as a parent, you're probably, you want your child to thrive. And you hear reports like this, oh, now we got to move to Plano, Texas, something like that. No, 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 no. But, you know, you, you, there's so much you're trying to do to get get your kids in the right schools and the right activities and have the right house. And you see so much online and social media, people sharing how they can, incre- you know, how their families are perfect. And it just increases your anxiety around it. Oh, and then there's advice. Lots of advice to help you be the perfect mom and dad. Okay. Admittedly, some of that advice is good, but when there's this overwhelming drive to have everything just right and perfect, it can often leave you burned out, your kids frustrated, and really a lot of it is short-sighted. The bigger question is, what's your long game? What's your long view in parenting? Laura Spaulding's going to join me in about 90 seconds, and we're going to talk about having that long view in parenting. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Okay, people text in about what they like on their toast on this National Toast Day. See some avocado toast in there. Somebody's making French toast right now. Ooh, that sounds really good. Uh, Let's see. Karen says, almost burnt with butter and honey. Butter and Vegemite. Have you ever? Oh, no, I would never do Vegemite again. Plus, Rick from Madison saying, (laughs) morning toast with cheese whiz. Well, anyway, hey, Laura, Laura Spaulding joining us now. She uh, wrote an article at the Gospel Coalition we're going to talk about. But uh, first, Laura, are you a toast person? Um, yeah, I like toast. Okay, what do you like on your toast? Um, butter, cinnamon, and sugar. Ooh, cinnamon toast. <laughs> yeah, forget cinnamon the— Cinnamon toast, there you n- go. N- not, not the, you're, you're talking the real stuff, not like the box of cereal. You want the good <laughs> stuff. I get it. That is good. That is good. Well, again, thanks for joining us so early in the morning here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And thank you for your article, because a lot of us, we... We oftentimes get caught up in the in the rush of everything. We oftentimes don't take that long view in parenting. And this is something that, okay, <laughs> you've probably been through the whole thing, too, listening to your story, reading your article. If you could tell yourself a few things now, if you could go back and send a letter to your younger self 20 years ago, what would you tell yourself? Oh, man, what would I tell myself? Yes, my oldest is now 20, and... um I would say that before she was born, I was all about making sure I did everything right. Uh Even before I met her, I knew I had a plan. And so 
you know, it, it is, it's just easy and tempting to want a formula and to want a right way for everything. And parenting was no different for me. Um, looking back, if I could go back and start over, I would say that I would start by wanting to have paid way more attention to her, to the baby that I'm holding in my arms than I was paying to whatever the books that I needed to do or whatever the latest parenting trends at the time were. I would love to just go back and spend more, like pay more attention to her. I, I wish I had been treasuring all of the moments, even the ones that um, seem to go on and on and on instead of tracking them, instead of measuring them to what someone else was telling me should have been happening. Um, and then I, I talk in my article and a, a verse, a big verse for me just in this season as I am reflecting and thinking through a lot of this has been Proverbs 22, 6, which we all have said many times to train up a child in the way he should go. And I wish I would have um, read it a lot differently than I did. I wish I would not have read it as a command, as if there was a right way to raise up a child, promising mm-hmm. a right end. Yeah, we do that so often. We take that verse and, okay, a lot of us have put it up on the wall. <laughs> maybe it's right. maybe it's in the nursery area of your church. You have, somebody painted it on the wall, and it, it it's they're good words, but so often we don't dive into it in the depths. And I, that's what I loved about your argue, arg, article. You really dove in and uh, you looked at it. First off, I mean, you, you broke it down in basically looking at each of the words here. For example, the train up aspect. You said it's not a command. It's something more of a gracious invitation. What is that invitation? Yes. Um, you know, that verse is very metaphorical. It actually has three metaphors in it. And it's not this like black and white, here's what you need to do so that this exact thing is going to happen. But the, um, the idea that, um, to train up a child, it doesn't mean it's used very differently here. It's, it's more about initiating or starting or getting on a journey. So the verse is, is not, talking about a formula, it's talking about a journey. Every single part of it is like in the way that literally translates to way or path or journey. And um, you can read it as the journey of life or the way of life. So when when it's telling us to train up a child um, in the way, it's saying, get them ready for this journey they're about to go on. Mm. And um, too easily, I think, for for certainly for me, um, when my kids were little, in my mind, I was preparing them for a whole lot of fancy destinations on the way mm-hmm. to growing up or, you know, part of it was growing up. I was preparing them to be good citizens and to get good grades and to get in the right college and to, you know, all the things that were told, this is what, this is what parenting is about. And so, um, you know, the most important part of that verse that I'd love to just real quick say is is the the way that he should go and the way that that verse transfers is according to the thing itself. It is according to, and so it, when you think about the child that you have, he's saying, the verse is saying, like, train them up according to the way that they have been made, according mm. to the way that they have been designed, not according to what the culture says training should look like. 
um, but train them up according to the way they were created, the way that they were designed. Right. Uh, We're going to continue this conversation. I mean, really getting into that design and then helping your child travel to, okay, we're also going to talk about the destination as well, because that's important. Uh, Laura was just talking about, okay, yeah, have this destination about being a good citizen, having this destination about getting in the right college and getting the right job. Okay. Not that those are unimportant, but there's an ultimate destination. So Laura Spaulding and I will continue this conversation in just a few moments. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Yes, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Okay, what's the way they're supposed to go. That's what we're talking about this morning, because as a parent, that's where we want to lead our kids or grandkids. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on Faith Radio. Laura Spaulding, uh, Spaulding is my guest. By the way, you can find her online. She blogs uh, words to my children dot blog. So, yeah, check out her her uh, writings. Also, we're talking about an, an article I saw at the Gospel Coalition talking about taking the long view revolutionized my parenting. And Laura, as we were finishing up uh, the previous segment, we're, you're helping us to start unfold that passage of Scripture. Many of us know, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go. And you're talking about how we're initiating them on a journey and the way he or she should go. And you mentioned that's according to the thing itself, which means, hey, we need to know that child itself. As you mentioned earlier, you have the child. Oftentimes we put our attention on what's the latest advice here without looking at the child themselves and who they are. Right. So when I when I talk about the child themselves, I think we are all very prone to view our own strengths and weaknesses, and even certainly the strengths and weaknesses or the unique things about our children or their achievements, what they do, what they what they've accomplished, what they haven't, what grades they got, or whatever it is. We 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 tend to moralize those things or we tend to find our identity in them. And if if we've got more visible gifts or visible talents, or we have more visible weaknesses, especially the ones that show up in a school world or whatever this culture is that in the neighborhood, you talked about the different neighborhoods, wherever we happen to be raising them, we tend to think of of them based on that. But um, if we can see our children, if we really know them, what lights them up? What stresses them out? What are the things that they are they're drawn to? What are their natural bents? What are like, how has God created and designed them and train them according to that? Um, these verses are not talking about, you know, here's what's going to happen on the journey. They're no. talking about the beginning and the end. What happens in the middle is so like, it's, he is a personal God uh-huh. and 
you know, Psalm 139, it tells us that every part of our journey, every part of us and every part of how we've been created was God's good design for us, our limitations and our gifts. And so as if when we can see our children rightly, not through the eyes of the culture, but through the eyes of how they have been uniquely designed, um, then it, we can begin to give them a taste of, of knowing themselves, but then really knowing their own creator. And um, it allows us to help just prepare them for the good works he prepared for them to do, not you know what the world says we should do, but how he uniquely designed them. So that would be one of my advice of what does that look like? Is it, What is knowing your child and what is preparing them for the journey look like? Um, that would be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go ahead. No, go ahead. You, you're go ahead. I was I was going to say, you know, um, part of we get report cards starting at five years old and <laughs> being a good citizen. You know, that's one of the things we're measured. Like, how are we a good citizen? And scripture is pretty clear that we are strangers and aliens in this world. And we weren't created. I mean, we're supposed to be good citizens. That's important. Right. We're mm-hmm. like there's all kinds of things that go with that. But ultimately, we have been um, created for a homeland, right. and when we are traveling, if we would, if we are, if this world is a journey, if if we are traveling through, um, being able to recognize, as Paul says, he says that those who never departed from the way, like he talks about what what those in in his faith chapter, what does it look like. Um, well, they died as strangers and exiles. Mm-hmm. So good travelers who endure to the end, if that's really what this verse is talking about, then they're not bending to the cultural winds. They're aiming, they're not aiming for perfection at every stage of life, at every award ceremony and every yeah. graduation. They are aiming for perfection for all of eternity. That- and um, so I would say getting them initiating them and the way they should go, we invite them to join us as we are seeking a homeland and um, something more. Oh, again, you're speaking to me because, okay, my kids are older. I mean, my oldest is 28 and my youngest is 18. And yeah, there were so many mistakes that were made along the way. Sure. Or at least a lot of, and a lot of stuff that just happened. It's like, okay, we, we failed. No, 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 no. Again, the, it's life is a journey. Oftentimes we get, okay, the kid didn't get on the dean's list or stuff like that, and we, we break down. But it's like, no, no, no. Life is a journey. And again, what are we valuing? You're, you're talking about this homeland, and I think that's the key. You, ha- you have some great advice. I mean, I wish we had more time to talk about some of the points of advice. I mean, traveling lightly, uh, good travelers pack lightly, and we don't want to weigh our kids down with things such as materialism, perfectionism. And I thought it interesting because it's such a buzzword these days, authenticity. And Oh, yeah. Oh, tell you what. Can you take a minute and explain what you mean by not bogging them down with authenticity? Because that seems so counter everything everybody's talking about these days. Right. Well, and again, I will say I, I'm, I'm talking about authenticity more in terms of the way that the culture would define authenticity, um, where this new kind of right way to parent is – um, it like, you're already perfect. So uh, just be who you are, you know, like it's, it's almost like be perfect in your parenting, but also at the same time, you are already perfect. And so uh, it's almost this conflicting message. Um, but a lot of it has to do with 
if you like, if you can invest in a meaningful career and you take care of yourself and you just do the, you know, the best you can as a parent, just be your authentic self, then um, that's more important to your kids than doing all the right things at all the right times. And and there's obviously some truth in, in both sides of that. But ultimately, we can't, we just can't trust the cultural winds. Like it's always changing. What the culture tells us we should be doing as parents is all, is always just going to be changing. And all we can do is look to our perfect parent and the example that he's given. And, and his example is he knows us each personally and uniquely. In fact, he created us exactly as um, he meant for us to be. My parenting journey looked nothing like what um, we expected. And so our ideas, um, we, lot, I mean, first of all, my kids, I had a couple of kids who completely refused to fit in any box that we would try <laughs> to put them in. And No, that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, but just to your point earlier, yeah, we all make mistakes, but also recognizing that even the mistakes I make as a parent is God's good design for my children. Like mm. that is part of him equipping and preparing them. And so it, it just, it's, it's, it's okay that they didn't have everything perfect, but it's also okay that I strived for perfectionism. A lot of my kids years as well. Like, like God, there's so much grace for that. And again, that is also part of my kids journey and yeah, yeah. what God is writing for them. And again, the big point that you landed on is helping just like we need to keep our eyes fixed on our heavenly homeland, our better country. That's the goal. You're, you're starting them out. You're initiating them, pointing them in that direction, helping them understand who they are in light of that coming kingdom, that heavenly homeland, that better country. And again, as as you mentioned, the verse starts with what you do in initiating and the goal at the end and leave the journey and yeah. help them on the journey. But leave this takes a lot of faith, leaving oh, yes. the God in control of that journey. Absolutely. And a lot of prayer. It takes and a lot of faith. And a lot oh, of, yeah. Yeah. So, hey, Laura, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, now that you're done with us, uh, maybe you can go get that piece of toast with the cinnamon and butter on it. Yes, sounds lovely. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Laura Spaulding has been our guest. You can, again, find her at uh, Laura, uh, pardon me, well, there's the article at the Gospel Coalition, but her personal blog is wordstomychildren.blog. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio, just without a Carmen again. I'm Paul filling in for just a couple more days. Hey, prayers for our neighbors down in, well, the panhandle of Texas. Texas Governor Greg Abbott issuing a disaster declaration this week for 60 counties as the Smokehouse Creek fire on the Texas panhandle becomes the second largest in Texas's history. Thousands of people were ordered to evacuate the wildfire that at last report only remains about 3% contained. Other wildfires burned as well leaving one person dead. Bad times down in um, down in Texas. The Smokehouse Creek fire broke out on Monday, and it has just been, again, going fast, over 1,300 square miles, larger than the state of uh, Rhode Island. That's the large area that's been, uh, been devastated, many homes and businesses destroyed. So, again, prayers for our uh, neighbors down that way.
Hey, question. Have you ever heard or maybe you were impacted by the ministry called Alpha? It helps those who have questions about the Christian faith to carefully explore and ask questions about the teachings of Christ in the Bible, but in a welcoming, open atmosphere, open dialogue. It's a great organization, great uh, movement. But did you know, here it is the last day of February, there's a love story behind Alpha. And we're going to talk about that with Sarah Zalstra, also from the Gospel Coalition, coming up in just a few moments. Again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. It's Mornings Without Carmen here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul filling in this week. Carmen back on Monday and again, Leap Day, but also National Toast Day. And I just saw Beverly. She was talking about the toast she has. She loves it with marmalade. Oh, Beverly, my story about marmalade. Okay, I like sweet marmalade. And so back in 1990, took a trip over to England on a college trip. And one of the places we ate had toast and marmalade. I thought, sweet marmalade. No, no. Why Paddington Bear likes that stuff, I don't get it. It's <laughs> okay. Anyway, joining us now, Sarah Zylstra, who is the a senior writer and the faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Okay, Sarah, what's your favorite uh, type of topping on your toast? You know what? I love butter and jam, and I'm curious why you don't like marmalade. Oh, sweet marmalade I like. Sweet marmalade. I love that. Okay, okay. But the the, it, the British stuff is bitter. It's, it, why? Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's not the same. Not the same, I tell you. Anyway, Sarah, yeah, thanks. The whole breakfast experience is more savory than sweet over there, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but I did fall in love with cucumber <laughs> sandwiches. Those are good. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sarah, thank you again for uh, joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. And, you know, I love the stories you tell at the Gospel Coalition, you know, not just making up stories. These are real-life stories, and you just recently had an article about Alpha and the founders and the improbable love story behind the creation of this ministry. I, I want you to quickly share that with us. Oh, I would love to. And and stop me if I go too long, because, Paul, I love this story, and, it and it's a beautiful. long one. It is beautiful. Oh, it's so good. So there are, there. okay, we're going to start back right after World War II, right when Britain was starting to lose its faith. I mean, that's when they sent a generation of young men to Japanese POW camps and to D-Day and to Dunkirk, and these guys lived through some horrific experiences, and they began to think, um, where is God? How could you know, how could there be in a God, a God in a world that acts like this? And when they came back, a lot of them quit going to church, and their kids then became the first generation of, of British people who grew up kind of in more, a more atheistic society. Two of those boys, so these were boys of their fathers, were in World War II, ended up at a boarding school together, and they were both named Charles. And one of them was named Charles, but he was very straight-laced, and he always got the answers right, and he always did his homework, and he was always on time. And the other Charles, his friend, was had a ton of energy, maybe a little bit of ADHD, um, lots, very social, always raising his hand or saying things without raising his hand, never knowing the answer, but lots of fun. Um, they got through school, and the Charles, who was straight-laced, went to um, Cambridge because he had really good grades. And while he was there, he started thinking, you know, I am just wondering about God, and I would like to know the answers about God. So in a very methodical way, he went to 
a pastor, and they met together over six different sessions, and they worked their way through John Stott's basic Christianity, and he learned about it, you know, chapter by chapter. And then at the end, um, John Stott includes a prayer, a sample prayer, you can say, and, and our straight-laced Charles said word for word the prayer that had been suggested in the book, and um, but it was genuine. He genuinely became a Christian. His friend Charles went got terrible grades in one he was in lower school, um, went to a uh, business, sort of, I'm picturing like a business, um, you know, like AA degree or something, um, had a great time, was starting a music club, never studied, met a girl, fell in love with her, and they began dating each other. A straight list Charles would really, was really wishing that his friend would come to know the Lord as well, so he sent him a copy of the book. And he was also starting to wrestle because he thought, I think I want to go into the ministry, but I'm, but I just finished, by this point in time, he had finished studying the law. And he was like, okay, my dad really wants me to do the law. Um, I just, he, my dad paid for all this education. I'm about to start my degree. Like, picture yourself finishing law school and then thinking, wait, I think I should go back and start seminary. Yeah, dad's right? going to be a little uh, miffed. I spent all that yeah. money for... <laughs> Yeah, go. <laughs> exactly. And you spent all that time and you studied and so you learned a whole thing. And now you're thinking, so he was wondering, like, Lord, is this the right thing to do? This would also be a pretty big, like he has always followed the rules before now. So this would be a pretty big shift for him more than it would be for somebody else. Um, and so he laid, he said, I was a young Christian. I would never recommend this, but I laid a fleece before the Lord. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go to seminary, then my friend, crazy friend Charles has to become a Christian. <laughs> And so does the girl he's dating, who is called Julia. They both have to become Christians. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So back to Charles and Julia, who are not Christians. They're having a great time together. They are living in sin together. They are just, um, you know, tooling around. Eventually, Julia's dad is like, all right, you guys need to get married. And so they do. But before that, 10 days before their wedding, Charles has been working for this um, this company, and he's been doing really well, and he's been able to hire an employee. And then, like, a couple of days after they hire him, the company says to him, actually, we're putting a pause on that. You're going to have to fire that guy you just hired and promised a job to. And that made him feel, like, so angry, so upset, so grieving. He's like, I knew I wasn't a Christian, but this isn't how you treat people. Um, so he's pictured him just feeling really um, wildly angry. In his rage, he picks up John Stott's basic Christianity and flips to the end of the book where it says man's response to God and just rage reads these words that John Stott has written. And he said, um, basically, it's about like, you know, he said, I could see in my mind Abraham and Isaac. Um, he said, I could see this mural in my head that we had in my in my grade school gym. Abraham with his hand raised and a knife in it, Isaac on the altar, and all of a sudden I knew I was supposed to be the one on the altar and that Jesus had come and taken my place, and I was converted in this mm. moment. Now, he barely knows anything, but he got converted in this moment. He is emotional all over the place. He cries all night long. He's, he's, um, he doesn't know anything. He calls Charles the next day, and Charles says, you need to go to a pastor I know who's called Dick Lucas. Why don't you go and meet with him? He calls Dick Lucas and says, can I meet with you? I just became a Christian. Dick says, you got some time in a couple of weeks. How about three weeks from now? I have a pocket. He says, no, I got to do it today. <laughs> you know, I'm a wreck. Um, so Dick Lucas says, okay, come on over. So he does. And then um, the pastor asks him these questions. Who is Jesus? Um, what is sin? What does it mean to be a Christian? And of course, our Charles, who only read the end of the book, knows no answers to any uh -huh. of the questions, but he's in marketing. So he said, I just made up all manner of, he's just making up answers to these things. And eventually, 
um, Dick Lucas stops him and says, um, listen, it is not what you think that matters. It is what God says. And he pulls out his Bible and from Genesis to Revelation explains to Charles what the gospel is. Then Charles says, I'm about to get married in 10 days. Dick Lucas says, you know what? Why don't you just settle down? Let's just think about this and sit with this. I don't know that you need to go emote this all over your Julia. Why don't you just sit with this for a minute? And even on your honeymoon, I don't know that you need to be, you know, he's, he's so emotional and so overwrought. Like, let's just, let's just give it a minute. And you sit with this first before you um, talk to her. Well, of course, that is not the personality of our Charles, who has already (laughs) emoted all over Julia. She said, he called me at work and he's like, I saw a vision of Abraham and I'm a Christian and I'm going to quit my job and become a pastor. And she was like, what are you talking about? He meets with her again, except now he's got a a pamphlet that Dick Lucas has given him that explains what a Christian is. And she said, "Um, I knew the Holy Spirit. She said, now I know it was the Holy Spirit, but I knew I couldn't marry him unless I was a Christian too. Mm. And so she said, um, she read through that and she thought, I know I want to marry him. I am making a choice, like an intellectual choice to believe this with him. Um, And so she did. And that also was genuine. I mean, this woman has been a Christian now for 45 years. Um, And so, or 50 years, actually. And so that was a, she, they were both converted 10 days before their wedding. Mm. They went on to have, um, like, they've been married now. They're celebrating their 50-year anniversary. They have four kids, um, all kinds of grandkids. All of them are walking with the Lord. One of their kids is Andrew Wilson, who just wrote 1776, Remaking of the World. Oh, wow. He wrote Incomparable. Yes. Um, he wrote um, The Life, oh, is it The Life We Never Imagined About Having Their Kids? Yeah. Um, so Andrew yes, Wilson's related to special Whoa. Andrew Wilson's their child. Their, <laughs> Andrew Wilson is their child. Their oldest son. Yes. Okay. Isn't that amazing? That and is. so Andrew Wilson's godfather is this other man, Charles. The straight lace Charles is his godfather. Okay, so back to straight lace Charles, because now he's thinking, good grief, I am going to have to go to seminary because <laughs> there could be no clearer Gideon's police answer than the one I have just received. Back he goes to seminary, he finishes it off, and his first job is to be a, an assistant pastor at a church in London. And when he gets there, the pastor says to him, listen, I've got this girl in my congregation, and she, like you, had a coming-to-faith experience in college, and she was wondering if we could have sort of a class with people who also have a lot of questions. Could you work with her and get mm-hmm. it started? And so Charles and this girl, Trisha, sit down together and they hammer out a plan. Okay, we're going to meet for six weeks. It's going to be six weeks long. We're going to meet at Charles's apartment near the church. We are going to have a little talk. We'll take turns talking about, you know, a, an aspect of the Christian faith, who is God, what is faith, sort of all those those main basic questions that other Charles didn't know any answers to. And then we'll have a lot of time for people to ask questions at the end. And so they designed it and they ran it. Um, And the first time six people came and then more people and more people. And they eventually had so many people coming to these things that when Charles's roommate came home, he couldn't even go to the bathroom. Like there was also a small group (laughs) meeting in the bathroom. They were just everywhere. And so it went awesome. Eventually Charles, um, left. He took his own church somewhere. He married Trisha, by the way, and they left and took their own church somewhere. And of course, the Alpha Course um, went on to become massive. Nearly 30 million people at this point have taken it. Um, It has just been so helpful for so long all across the globe. Um, 
Straight Lace Charles became a, a local pastor. He never started any other global ministries. Um, <laughs> he has just been a faithful um, ministering the word, um, certainly, wow. you know, like writing and preaching and um, counseling and caring for people for the last 45 years or so. Isn't that awesome? That is such an amazing story. And, and the fact that Andrew Wilson is part of it, too, I deeply appreciate. It's like, wow. So anyway. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Well, we have another story. You got to tell us another story here in a few moments. And I'm, I'm OK. I actually had like four stories on here. Maybe we'll get to one more. Um, <laughs> this is Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul and Sarah Zaustra from the Gospel Coalition. I think we want to talk, though, about how narrating the Bible has impacted the lives of, well, six people who've been chosen to do the narration. And this, again, one of those amazing stories here, and we'll talk about it here on Faith Radio. Thanks again for listening. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey! Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith and, yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long, and you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family, and so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. Well, again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on this Thursday, the 29th of February. And, okay, when it's come to reading the Bible, many do the Bible in a year and do that every year, which is good. I'm not dissing that. But a practice I've been doing the last several years is instead of jumping around or just quickly reading through, I'll choose a book of the Bible, and for whatever set period of time, I'll read it and then reread it and reread it for several, you know, keep doing that for weeks or whatever. I can tell you, when you do that, it's different because it's like you start hearing the voice of the person who was the writer and their intention behind that. I mean, you just hear so much more. And okay, when you really engage scripture at, at such a level, it, 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 it changes you. And another way people have engaged deeply is actually working on Bible narration. And uh, Sarah Zylstra, Wants to sh- has that, that story again. This is at the Gospel Coalition, uh, thegospelcoalition.org. And Sarah, okay, take us to Crossway. They decided to do a new audio version of the ESV Bible. And the people, well, let's just say it was transformative. Yes, this is so fascinating. So first of all, this is a massive project. Yeah. To read, the Bible is huge, as everybody, I mean, it takes 70, 70 to 75 hours just to listen to the Bible, but then to create that takes about a thousand hours of labor, both from the readers and from the audio people who are putting it together. Um, this is fascinating. So at the end of 2023, a couple months ago, Crossway released, they had one before, mm-hmm. um, but now they released six more of them. Um, and they were read by Conrad Mbewe, who is a pastor out of Zambia, Kristen Getty, you know her of the Gettys. Yes. Um, Ray Ortland, who's in Nashville, Jackie Hill Perry, Robert Smith Jr., who teaches at Beeson Divinity School, and Michael Reeves, who teaches in the UK. So they were trying to get like a variety of um, men and women voices, but also a little bit of a variety of accents mm-hmm. um, as to read through the Bible, which was just so I talked to all six of these people. A couple things they had in common, which was fascinating. One, they were all so excited to do this. 
um, to a person. They, as soon as Crossway asked, like almost before Crossway finished asking, they were like, yes, you bet. This sounds like something I've always wanted to do. This sounds amazing. And then, do you know what? To almost to a person, they said, "Wow, that was so much harder than I thought it was going to be." Um, it is so hard. First of all, reading the Bible takes forever, mm-hmm. and then second of all, you can't make any mistakes. Um, and and the Bible is kind of tricky to read. And so, when you're reading through it, every time you make a mistake, you have to stop and and fix it. This is why this takes a thousand hours of labor to edit out every mistake that a person reads you know, as they're reading through it. Think about all those names, you know, like, um, and you can't mess up any of them. And then the third thing that they all said is that this, this changed me. This was different than I thought it was going to be. This this changed the way that I look at the Bible. When you are, Ray Ortland said, I was amazed at how, what a sloppy Bible reader I had been before. (laughs) And I was amazed at that. He's been studying the Bible for five decades, you know, but he's like, I, you miss words that you think you're reading, or you add words that are in there, or like when you're forced to go slow and read through something aloud perfectly, it slows you down and it puts you in the story more than it did before. And I think for these people, also, I mean, the project they were doing is just unique. There are very few of us who are going to be asked to read aloud the entire Bible. And I mm-hmm. think to to marinate, like your word, right, to sit in the Bible for so long, they could see better how different, they told me how different parts connected together. Um, it was just, it's just a beautiful uh, piece of literature, I think. It's just the words are beautiful, and the Spirit of God has inspired it. And so for them, it, it changed. Even being Bible students, serious students of the Bible, reading it aloud in one, not really one go, because it took some of them a couple of years to do it, um, but in one project changed mm-hmm. them. It really did. Actually, I don't, I don't know if you can do this in a minute, but I do want to highlight another article. You mentioned uh, Robert Smith Jr., and you have another mm-hmm. article about how he forgave the man who killed his son. Yes. So Robert Smith Jr., one of the readers of the ESV Bible, um, by the way, he also was like, he was like a machine. They said he did this in a summer. It, it can take you like a year to or two to read the Bible. It took Jake, Jackie Hill Perry too, um, but he he had to do it in between his um, spring and fall classes that he teaches, mm-hmm. and so he would read for like. 12 hours a day, I think he would just oh. get there every day, and he just like would read the entire day long, and then he would study a little bit what he was going to read the next day, and then he would get to his quiet office in the summer, and just go all day long. He just mm. said, the Lord gave me strength to do that. That feels like a miracle. I can't imagine anyway, you that. are correct. I can't imagine <laughs> that. I mean, I, I do radio, and after a while, my voice gets raspy. He's reading yes. 12 hours? He is. I know. Oh. I know. Okay. No, it makes you want to go listen to it, doesn't it? Okay. It, it does. It does. Um, well, we, we're we actually out of time, but I encourage people to go to oh, the I'm Gospel. I'm sorry. No, okay. that's okay. That's okay. Yep. Go to the Gospel Coalition, read about these. Again, read about uh, Pastor, uh, rather, Professor um, Robert uh, Smith and how he forgave his, uh, his son's killer. I mean, amazing stories of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. living out their faith. I do have to tell you this real Care, uh, quickly, uh, yeah. Sarah, have you ever listened to the Alexander Scorby reading of the King James? One of the early. No. Okay, there is an error that they left what? in it. Oh, you're kidding. Yes. He calls the prophet Jeremiah the prophet Jeremy in one of the Gospels. <laughs> As the prophet Jeremy. So, yeah, they left Jeremy in. 
Nobody catch. Nobody caught that. I guess not. And what? it's like whatever, whatever. <laughs> anyway, Sarah, thanks again. Well, I for- think that there's isn't there another version of the King James, the written version, where it says "Thou shall murder." I think oh yes, a uh, yeah, there's that. There's left a, there's out also, oh, there's a lot that? of those. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard per- to be perfect. It's yep. hard to be perfect, but yes. Hey, Sarah, thanks again for joining us here on Faith Radio. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. It's been fun. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. And hey, this is the last day I guess you can sign up because this, we're still in our birthday month for one more day or what's left of this day. And if you go to MyFaithRadio.com, we have 75 birthday boxes we're giving away. It has the Faith Radio 75th anniversary t-shirt, the Brent Hansen book. Yeah, go to MyFaithRadio.com, get signed up for an opportunity to win a birthday present from us. We're celebrating our 75th birthday. More Mornings with Carmen on the way shortly. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.